You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain, and it is time for the Progressive Snapshot. It's easy to bundle your home and car insurance at Progressive.com. Let's get insight on everything across the NFL from our buddy Kevin Clark. You can check him out on the Ringer, senior football writer there. I, I, I know we got to get to football. Actually, let's start with the quarter zip, Kevin. Like you're an international <laughs> sensation after the Manning cast. <laughs> like, are we are we like getting a new look trademarked or something? Are we getting new headshots with the quarter zip? Like, how's fame feel, my friend? I've never been offered more free sweaters in my life. I'll say that. <laughs> I had no idea that that was a, that was a career move I could make. That's it's how funny it works. because I don't even wear them that much. So it all started because. Jim Nance was on my show, Slow Newsday, last year, and he gave this whole breakdown of quarter zip fashion, and it was amazing. He talked about the type of zippers you need to wear. It was unbelievable. And then, uh, so when we had Eli on, we had, we, I asked him to break it down as well, and then it just grew from there. Um, obviously, Eli said on, on our show that, that uh, he loves to buy quarter zips for Peyton as gifts, and that's why it's so <laughs> funny because I saw a couple Bears fans say, like, oh, he's wearing an orange Orange uh, quarter zip, he's rooting for the right. Bears. No, 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 no. Eli gives him orange quarter zips all the time in case he goes to a Tennessee function or a Broncos function because that's, that, that is that is uh, a sweater that works for, for all seasons. That's just good gift giving. That's just smart brotherly behavior. What he um, has everything. That's, that's quarter zips, <laughs> apparently, and that's what Kevin Clark's going to be getting to for a while. Uh, let's talk about the news of the day. Robert Quinn headed to the Eagles. Uh, yeah. I had a handful of Eagles fans sort of like, ha thank you. And I, I agree. It's good for them. I think it's also the right move by the Bears, right? 100%. Um, the Bears are in a state of transition. The Eagles are not. I'm going to tell you guys a story. A couple of years ago, after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I was uh, in Philadelphia, and I was talking to some of the people who, who were on the inside there, and I was talking about, oh, well, they go for it on fourth down, all the analytic stuff they do, um, the way they did the quarterback and the offense and the RPOs, and somebody very smart there stopped me and said, do you know I won the Super Bowl? It's not anything you're describing. It's because of the lines. It's because mm-hmm. of the offensive line and the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Everything else is extra. Everything else was a tiebreaker between a team like them and a team like the, the Vikings, for instance, in the NFC that year. Um, but they understand the toughness along the lines. Uh, they understand that even if they have a strength, to keep building on that strength. That's one of Howie Roseman's, um, frankly, trademarks. Uh, they need t- more talent if they're going to win the arms race in the NFC because there's going to be a lot of teams like the Rams, the Niners, and the Packers who are going to improve uh, in the next couple of weeks just because they have more talent than they've shown. And maybe at the deadline, one of those teams swings a trade as well. Um, if I'm the Bears, yeah, I-, I want draft capital. I mean, you saw what the Panthers did with, uh, with-, with Christian McCaffrey uh, last week. Like, that's what you should be doing. You should be getting mid-round picks for guys who are not uh, a part of the long-term plan. I think Ryan Poles is doing it exactly the way he should be. Okay, so then let's uh, take a look at another sort of scenario in the NFL right now with Mac Jones being named the starter, it looks like, for the Patriots. Is that the right decision? It's the right decision. I, I'm, I'm questioning how they – the process here because I feel like it was a self-inflicted <laughs> <all> competition. <laughs> I don't think – I mean, Bill Belichick, is there anybody who's done a better job at – filtering out drama over the past 20 years than Bill Belichick. All of the things that have been going on, whether that's within the, within the building, outside the building, all the outside noise, 
nobody's better at keeping, as Pat Riley would say, uh, keeping the main thing the main thing than Bill Belichick. And to inject controversy into this season, I've never seen anything like it. Um, I'm sorry. I've seen a lot of things like it from worse teams, but, but from <laughs> Bill Belichick, who's usually so good at managing these situations, um, frankly, I'm a little bit surprised by it. Uh, so it is the right decision because I think Mac Jones is, is, is frankly, is better than Bailey Zappi. Um, but I, I just, I mean, on national TV to do that, I mean, if you're going to do anything like that, try to make it a 1 p.m. game against, you know, a, a divisional <laughs> opponent or something. To do it on national TV, to implode like that against a pretty bad Bears team, it's a head-scratcher. It's uncharacteristic from Bill Belichick. Yeah, we completely agree. Uh, just ham-handed and not thought out, I yep. thought. Kevin Clark is with us, the Ringer senior football writer. You can also see him on his own show, Slow News Day with Kevin Clark, wherever you get your podcast. Um, I want to ask about the other Jones we're starting to wonder if Daniel Jones could fetch a pretty penny on the market with his team playing as well as it has. This is a very different situation than we've been in, uh, at least before the season began, when there were still a lot of questions whether he was worth anything at all. Where do you sit right now on Daniel Jones? We had a lot of ball game left with Daniel Jones and the Giants. I mean, I was just looking at the numbers this morning. Um, they're the first team in 22 years to start out this hot and only play one score games. Okay, all of their wins mm. within eight points. Historically, that's very, very rare. The 1988 Saints did it, and then uh, in 2000, I think the Vikings did it. And so, I think you get into a situation where maybe there's a little bit of regression there. If he's going to strike a deal for the next two years, like I'd kind of try to do it now. I mean, like, now is the time to get to the negotiating table, right? So, <clears throat> I think that there's, uh, I think if he's waiting for a a kind of mega contract, he's going to have to wait a long time for it. He's going to have to get more of a proof of concept. Uh, but if he wins this year, I mean, the Giants are going to be picking pretty late in the first round. Um, I would not be surprised if they try to kind of make this a Band-Aid uh, type deal, bring him back, uh, give him a little financial security. I mean, it was funny because we, we were recording a, a, a pod today and we were talking to some of my colleagues who do the draft more. And it's like, you know, there are quarterbacks who might slip to the mid first, late first, but I mean, I just don't think this is a game-changing year quarterback um, for those for, for a franchise like the Giants. Uh, they're not going to reach on, on somebody like that. So I think Daniel Jones is the answer because I guess the bigger question is who are you going to get that's better um, for this team for 2023? Well, the Broncos thought they got better when they got Russell Wilson, <laughs> and that hasn't worked out. Now, the, the Twitter internet rumor mill is trying to tell me that Hackett might be on the hot seat if they don't play better. That would be alarming to me. Should Hackett be on the hot seat right now? It depends. I'll say this. No, on the outside. It depends on the inside what they're seeing. You know, I didn't think after a month that Urban Meyer should have been fired last year, but I wasn't seeing what they were seeing. And not just the, the Dub One Ohio bar stuff. I'm talking about not knowing who Aaron Donald was, not having a grasp of the league, Telling, I mean, you know, uh, there was a Marvin kicking Jones players. yesterday. That he, that <laughs> kicking players. Uh, apparently, the, the players, he would just lie all the time um, about just, like, games he hadn't won or championships he hadn't won or whatever. So you don't know. We can't say for certain whether or not Hackett is totally uh, off the rails or not. From what I've seen, 
I don't think you should you should have one and done coaches ever unless it's egregious. I don't think this is egregious. The reports came out, guys, a couple of weeks ago. He hired his buddy uh, from when he was at Stanford to be the game management guy. That didn't work out. He went out and got Jerry Rosberg, a very respected former special teams coach with the Ravens. So you know some of those problems have been mitigated a little bit. I think you have to give guys time to learn. Um, I think this has been a very weird season. I think if you're an offensive head coach, you know, I saw a quote from Brandon Steele this morning basically saying that there's so many franchises trying to find their identity right now. And I think that, I mean, even if you're two and five right now, which a lot of teams are, or three and four, um, you're still in the thick of it. And so I think anything is premature right now unless there's something we don't know about, which I doubt. Kevin, as always, we appreciate your expertise. You guys can follow him on Twitter at by Kevin Clark. Read him on the ringer. And of close, of course, check out Slow News Day with Kevin Clark wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate your uh, your insight, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Appreciate you guys always. You know what? Talking to Kevin has me so excited. It's time to start previewing some of the best and worst of the upcoming slate in the NFL. We'll do that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I want to freeze time in the current week of the NFL because the Bears are the talk of the town, the cream of the crop. They embarrass Bill Belichick and company. They got a big win, and I don't really want to move on to what's next and the potential for the future weeks of the season to remind me that we ain't any good, Uh, but we have to. Time marches on, and there are some good games on the schedule to get into this week. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm going to go ahead and throw out a number of about five good matchups for this week that I expect. We don't have to talk about all of them, but I'm going to say there's about five, maybe six good matchups. And one of the first ones I want to start with is one that we had prefaced for us, uh, put up on a platter for us by Aaron Rodgers in his comments on Pat McAfee's show. It's Packers Bills. Um, First, he throws his teammates under the bus, and then he also in his postgame presser said that this loss that they just suffered to the commanders might be the best thing for them because they're going to go against the Bills, and it's going to be, what was his exact words, like ripe for an upset or going to be exposed? And I'm like, who's exposing whom here? So this one is going to be good, not because I think it'll be a close game, but because I expect the Bills to absolutely destroy the Packers and make that conversation around that particular team all the more fraught with drama. Yeah, so what I'm going to love about that game is it's the Sunday night game and I won't have to stay up late because it starts at 8.20 and it'll be done by about 8.45. I, I mean, <laughs> I think that there's a, the Bills are not just better than the Packers. They're in a different league than the Packers. And I, Aaron Rodgers trolling them in some level or just giving them any fodder makes no sense to me. And as I said the other day, when you are the Packers, you are still a name brand. When you are the Aaron Rodgers, you're still a name brand. So it's not like mm-hmm. the Bills are even going to be flat to take on a mediocre team. The Bills mm-hmm. want to kick the snot out of the Packers on Sunday Night Football, and they are going to do that. This is going to be a gross game by halftime. I am absolutely hammering the Bills on it. I'm hammering the over because the Bills aren't going to pump the brakes. They're going to run the Packers out of that stadium. They absolutely are. That defense is going to eat them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it's going to be real fun for me as a Bears fan. Chris Canty was on <laughs> KJ and Max and reacted to some of the comments that Aaron Rodgers has been making, including on Pat McAfee when he basically said, if you're making mistakes, you shouldn't get to play anymore, which sounds like Canty, too Canty, like he's talking a little bit above his pay grade. 
Aaron Rodgers, I respect you as the quarterback of the team, but you're not the head coach of the team. You're not. And it feels like there's an overstep when it comes to some of the public commentary that he's making about what's going on. And that, to me, is a poor leadership style. And then, taking it a step further, a couple of weeks ago, he also said he had this glowing relationship with Brian Gutekunst, and if we need to make a move at the trade deadline, I'm pretty confident that we're going to do that. Aaron Rodgers, you're the quarterback, bro. You're not the head coach. You're not the GM. You talk about not usurping the authority of your head coach, but it sure doesn't feel like you respect his authority when you make these kind of public comments. Because you're throwing your teammates under the bus, and then you're throwing the bus in reverse and backing up over them. And these are guys that you're going to need in order to get to where you want to go. Fitz, my how the time has changed. This is a guy who a couple years ago, all of the media would be fighting for him to get more say, to get roster decision-making, that he was the one being let down, and there is no one arguing on his behalf now. The fact that the Bills are an 11-point favorite over the Packers, the biggest deficit, the biggest uh, Vegas underdog we've seen in Aaron Rodgers' career speaks to how little chance most of us think the Packers have in this football game. And I still think that number could have gone higher. I, I mean, this is this is wild. And you're right. Like we went from sitting here saying, give give Aaron more control to saying, hey, this whole thing's broken. And by the way, Matt LaFleur is going to lose a little of that shine through the course of this year, too. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, so that game's not necessarily going to be a well-contended one, but it will be fun for a lot of us to watch. Let's get to a game that you think actually might be closer. Look, I think Giants-Seahawks is actually an interesting game that will be a close football game. And every week, it's we just keep repeating over and over again, the Giants are an underdog, even though they have the better record. But there is something to this match as a prove-it matchup for me because the Seahawks are a quiet 4-3. and three. But Kenneth Walker III was explosive last week. So now you have a young explosive back in Kenneth Walker III that I think can really give defenses a lot of trouble taking on a Giants team that we know is going to run the football incredibly well. This just feels like one of those hard-hitting, close football games as every game has been for the Giants this year that's going to come down to the end. I think it's a hell of a game. If the Giants lose it, it's not going to be a lot of shine. If the Seahawks win, though, in that process, there is a moment of, hey, acknowledging the Seahawks at this point are in contention in the NFC, whether we thought they would be or not. Yeah, I completely agree with you, and I think also what you're seeing from the Seahawks is a team that's doing a lot of good stuff in a lot of different phases. And I think we didn't expect them to be a team in contention. We certainly didn't expect this kind of season from Geno Smith so far. But in addition to that, you had a defense that had three sacks and two takeaways against the Chargers after starting out pretty terribly. Um, like you mentioned, Kenneth Walker, that that 74-yard touchdown was part of a pair from him. Um, they just look like a much more well-rounded team than we expected. And every week, unfortunately for the Giants, we're going to continue to expect um, them to start to level off closer to what the models predicted. And, you know, we also learned from Kevin Clark that this is a team that keeps winning all those one-score games. Do they have a big defeat in them? Do they have some dominance in them? Or will they start to regress to the mean? Yeah, I think they're going to actually – that's going to be the most interesting part because we expect the wheels to fall off for the Giants at some point. I don't know if it's this week, though. And at some point, we also kind of got to stop saying, hey, they're getting lucky and start saying maybe that's part of the identity (laughs) of this football team. Right. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We are uh, doing a couple of our best games of the NFL week. Let's talk about one that has an extra twist to it. Now, the Cardinals have been disappointing. Uh, They're 3-4. and 
you know, whether or not you expected them to really be contenders, I think you thought that the beginning would be better and then they would drop off down the stretch like they have. It just hasn't been pretty throughout. And the Minnesota Vikings are 5-1 and and not getting a lot of talk, by the way, the Minnesota Vikings. Not getting a ton of pub for that 5-1 and record. Now, the added twist to this is that I have been told by our intrepid producer, Devin, that a new Call of Duty is coming out. And if you recall, (laughs) there were some pretty compelling stats about the connection between Call of Duty and latest releases and how their quarterback plays. So Kyler Murray, uh, you better be, uh, even if it's not in your, your contract, you better be spending those hours studying that you promised. Yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing is that on the one hand, you've got the Chiefs saying after their last game that... Mahomes, Juju Smith-Schuster coming out and saying that playing uh, playing Call of Duty together is how they built chemistry. And then on this <laughs> side, we're over here Uh-oh. looking at the Cardinals saying, um, so so now I'm doomed on both sides. The Chiefs, uh, luckily a bye week for them. They're going to spend the whole bye week building more chemistry, and, and Murray's going to spend the whole bye week wondering why nobody wants to play with him. Yeah, I mean, I'm just telling you, you've, you've got a chance to buck the trend, Kyler. You could do something big, even though that Call of Duty comes out Friday. Uh, I don't expect to see it. It's Spain and Fitz, some of the best games of the NFL week. Another one that maybe uh, we would have expected even more excitement about when the season started, and now we're just trying to see what we got here, I think is the Niners and the Rams. Um, you've got a Niners team that's 3-4. and four, Defensively, really surprisingly terrible performance last week that they're going to want to bounce back from. And a Rams team that's 3-3 three and three and just is not ex- – there's just no en- enthusiasm for that team right now. Yeah, I think this is interesting, too. When you talk about the Rams, for all the conversations we've been having about the disappointments in the NFL this year, the Rams haven't been mentioned as loudly as I think they should be. I mean, there were plenty of us mm-hmm. that thought coming into the year they were a given to be a contender to repeat or at least a contender to represent the NFC again. They're three and three, and nothing has looked easy for them along the way. So I, I feel like the Rams are their backs up against the wall. Will they show up or will they get shown up? And if they get shown up, there's going to be some loud questions about what, what happened. Yeah, I do think a lot of people are giving them that whole Super Bowl hangover. Also, looking at some of the players that they lost and seeing how they might adjust with time. Uh, time will start to run out pretty soon. I also think some of the issues you never really fixed with Matthew Stafford, you just overcame because of the rest of the team are rearing their head again, and you just don't have that defense and some of those other pieces to make up for it. Uh, We'll be keeping an eye on that. Also, Patriots-Jets a little juicy now after this last week, too. Uh, Let's talk a little college football coming up next. Expert's going to join us. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Shameless plug time. Haven't done that all night. Uh, Starting next Tuesday, uh, less than a week from now, we'll have our first rankings reaction on the digital platform. So Mm. if you watch uh, ESPN Digital uh, across Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, the ESPN app, I'll be hanging out with Christine Williamson and AJ McCarron every single Tuesday as we react to the college football playoff rankings every single week. So with that spirit in mind, let's be uh, let let's get some expertise now from Bill Connolly, ESPN college football writer, joining us. Uh, Bill, always appreciate the time. Uh, if you were in the committee room right now, who would you have as the number one team in the country? I think Ohio State's been the best team in the country so far. Um, we always get into these kind of ain't played nobody arguments and drink the schedule or whatever. But at this stage in the game, if they were to play a giant round robin among all the five or six or seven best teams in the country, I'm assuming Ohio State ends up with the best record. Therefore, I'm picking Ohio State. 
I am a recent, relatively recent fan of the Michigan football team, and my first couple years were a little bit rough, but things have started to look pretty good. Uh, tell me what you're seeing from them this year and why things are working out. I mean, it's, it seems like kind of an upgrade over what we started to see last year. You could kind of make this a zig when everybody's zagging kind of thing where, you know, everybody's built to try to account for an Alabama or an Ohio State. So they got a little bigger, a little more physical, um, you know, running the game a little, uh, you're playing the run a little bit more. Uh, and it's it, it clearly working. And, and so, you know, they, they, they bully around Ohio State last year. And then they take on a Penn State program that, it's kind of modeled itself after Ohio State trying to, to take them down, but is vulnerable to the same shoving uh, that, that Michigan gave them. So it, it's really kind of an interesting um, ev- well, evolution, de-evolution, or whatever you want to call it. But they're, they've been really, really good at what they've done. They made the playoff last year, and they might be better. Um, if they don't make it this year, it's probably because Ohio State got a lot better, but we don't know that for sure yet. It is kind of funny, though. I mean, we spent all summer arguing about what Michigan was going to do at the quarterback position when, in fact, all that mattered was that quarterback hands off to Blake Corum. So as well as they run the football, can they be sort of counter-programming with a style that can beat Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, all we know for sure is they're as good at that style as they were last year when they when they pushed Ohio State around. Now, what we don't know about J.J. McCarthy yet, and it's kind of a – this is a, a, a weird thing to, to, to critique them on. They've been good enough at what they do that we haven't seen him face adversity yet. But we, I'm going to assume that at some point, whether it's against Ohio State, whether it's just in a random dumb game that wasn't supposed to be close but is, uh, we, haven't, we don't know how he's going to respond to that. We don't have any evidence that he'll be bad at it. But it's still like a box I would like to check before we get to Ohio State or the Big 12 title game or Big 10 title game. So that's – that's kind of an interesting because you look at these top teams. That's Michigan's basically the only one that has a first year starting quarterback. Ohio State's is experienced, Georgia's is experienced, Alabama, Tennessee, et cetera. Michigan, we don't know everything we need to know about McCarthy yet, but what we know is pretty good. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Bill Connolly. You can follow him at ESPN underscore Bill C. Saw this stat on your dot com story that Georgia outscored opponents by a combined one hundred eleven to thirteen in their last nine quarters before they got this off week, but they, they probably need that break because they'll have four straight opponents ranked 31st or better in SB plus and only one of those at home. Do you think that they get tripped up in the next couple weeks against some of these good teams? Um, it's hard to say. Yes. I mean, what, what we've seen from them from a talent perspective, you know, we're, we're trying to poke holes in their defense. They're only third in my SP plus rankings now that, you know, God forbid, um, you know, it, it's, they're still one of the, I think the two or three best teams in the country. So I'm going to guess that the odds are in their favor, but it is tricky. I mean, even if we kind of look past Florida this weekend, which it's still very strange that we got Florida, Georgia with a 22 or 22 and a half point line. Uh, that's a weird place to be, but uh, even beyond that, you're looking at Tennessee, you're looking at a Mississippi State uh, defense that is better than Missouri. The Missouri really gave Georgia some problems a few weeks ago because Georgia can't really stretch the field. Kentucky's even better than that defensively. So there are hurdles here. It's going to be a tricky road, but, you know, it's been a long time since they lost to anybody but Bama, so I'm going to assume they keep winning. I mean, you mentioned Tennessee briefly there, and Tennessee did what they did to Alabama. So if you're yeah. sitting – in the Vols locker room, you got Heupel and Hooker. Like, why not? Why Why can't this Tennessee team beat Georgia? Yeah, I mean that's they stop the run well too. They they're kind of one dimensional defensively. They don't they, they lack from a passing 
defense perspective. Uh, but while Georgia is as efficient as anybody throwing the ball, again, they don't make a lot of chunk plays. They have to, you know, that means they have to snap the ball a lot to score points and, and risk uh, making a mistake or falling behind schedule at some point. So it's going to be Tennessee is really good. They, their pass defense really is an issue. It's probably going to keep them from winning the national title or anything, but they have one of the two best offenses in the country and a very good run defense. It's going to get you pretty far and it's going to give you a chance at least against teams like Georgia. It's Bain and Fitz talking to Bill Connolly. You can follow his latest work on the six unbeaten FBS teams on .com. You can find it under ranking college football, six remaining unbeaten teams. Uh, let's talk about Clemson. What do you actually think of DJ Uyunglele? Because it feels like week to week people are either completely out or talking about how he could be the next great thing. Um, are, are, have they figured it out? Well, I don't think they have. Um, but – the one thing I can say for sure, and I would have said this before uh, the Syracuse game, if you look at the remaining unbeaten teams and you throw Alabama in there as well, because we know Alabama's in that mix as well, even even before last week when it, when everything kind of fell apart and, and Kate Klubnik had to come in, you would still say that DJ Uyunglele is the, the weakest of any of those starting quarterbacks for those teams. So it was already going to be a little bit of an issue. And honestly – that kind of feeds into my thoughts about about Clemson overall. I'm not sure Clemson has a weakness this year, unless quarterback becomes one in the coming weeks. But I don't I don't know what they're better than other elite teams at right now. They they manage games well. Uh, Dabo Swinney's like 32 and seven, I think, since 2012 in in one score games. Like they know how to navigate these situations really really well. But that's really the only thing they're better than others at. And and if you get into a postseason situation with a bunch of really good teams not going to matter how good you are in close games because you're not going to be in a close game so that's going to be really interesting to see how they try to overcome that maybe the defensive line when it gets healthy maybe that becomes an elite trait for them but that kind of holds them back to me so what do you do in a situation where let's be real I mean I think Klebnik threw four passes right so it's not like he came yeah. in and lit it up but the offense looked much more energized with him at quarterback. If you're Clemson, how do you find the balance between a kid that came in and really didn't do anything, but the offense looked better with him? <laughs> right. He was like two for four for 19 yards, had a couple, like a, a good run. Um, I mean, Uyunga has had plenty of, of decent runs in his career. So it is hard to say that Clemson came in and just saved the team, but there was a spark right? and they stopped they stopped making killer mistakes and, and they won the game. So it'll be, I mean, basically now we have to wait until the next time this happens. You know, will it happen against Notre Dame here? Notre Dame's defense is solid. Maybe not as good as I thought it was going to be this year, but it's solid. Louisville's defense is much better than I thought, but it's not better than Syracuse's. We don't know if they're going to skate through this. Maybe South Carolina, has, you know, they've got a good defense. Maybe that trips them up. But, yeah, the next time this happens, how does the team respond, much less the quarterbacks that play here? How does the team respond the next time Uyangalele has a couple of turnovers? Uh, you know, that's – I don't know. I don't think anybody's going to know that answer till it happens. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio talking to Bill Connolly, ESPN College football writer. What, what did you make of Nick Saban's response initially to why he wasn't going to suspend Jermaine Burton – uh, for striking a female fan uh, during that loss last week to Tennessee. He said, if you knew the whole story, maybe you wouldn't suspend him right. either. I'm not going to divulge that. And then later said that he was <laughs> scared. Uh, the whole handling of it strikes me terribly. Uh, pardon that language. What What did you make right. of it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really easy to say, you know, if you know the whole story and you're not going to, then you would do the same right. thing. I mean, that's a pretty safe – if 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 – 
he was telling the truth, he would say that. And if he was just hiding the whole thing and didn't want to talk about it anymore, he'd say it. So you never really know in that case. Um, I, we, we, we know what the video said. And, you know, if, if it's being handled, I don't mind when coaches do unconventional, like if they're actually trying to address situations and he's taken whatever that course is, they didn't want to, he didn't say it was anger management, whatever it is. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a better solution than just uh, some uh, suspension where nothing else happens and then it comes back to the team. But it was definitely kind of odd. It, it, it's, it's hard to trust coaches when they say something like that. And, and you know, Nick Saban's no different, I guess. You guys can follow him on Twitter at ESPN underscore Bill C. Actually, one more real quick, Bill. TCU, would you put him in the playoff or not? I mean, right now, I mean, if we're talking about right now, then the problem is, no, there are a bunch of really good undefeated teams and they're just slightly out of the top four. Uh, but obviously, if you can survive this Big 12 gauntlet um, with definitely with zero losses and maybe with one as well, the, the Big 12 is so incredibly deep this year. I, I think they're going to be in good position, even if they slip up along the way. I guess that means you could say the same thing about OSU. If they went out uh, and they get to 12 and one, I think either one of those is going to have a really good case because there are just no off weeks right now in the Big 12. Read him on ESPN, ESPN College football writer Bill Connolly. Bill, always appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you. Great stuff from Bill. We've got to move on. So many stories, so little time. Quickies. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. You can always hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. At the risk of phrasing, I don't know that we've ever finished with quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Yeah, this is what we do when there's not enough time and too much to get into. We handle it using (laughs) quickies. Uh, Fitz, it's been weird this break in baseball. The World Series starts on Friday, but because those uh, CS series were so short, we just haven't gotten a lot of baseball content, and there doesn't seem to be much drama to build up and drum up. There aren't controversial players where we rehash all the bad things they've done. That's usually a staple before a championship series. There isn't a major injury that everyone's waiting on with bated breath to see if the person will be able to go. There's more talk about Aaron Judge and a team that's already out than the two teams that are in it. You know what really surprises me about that? It's that the Astros are involved and we still don't care. Like to that drama level. Like you would think. Well, we care, but it's the same old, same old. It's everyone hates them and they cheated. It's it's not, but it's nothing new and nothing fresh and nothing like. Look, I can watch. Right. The, I don't personally. Many people could watch the same episode of the Kardashians over and over and over again and still get worked <laughs> up about it. We can't even do that with the Astros. Like the Astros, like yep, they cheated. All right, what's next? Uh, there has been such silence between the end of the the series to get to the World Series that I feel like everything's just like sitting in a, a waiting mm-hmm. pattern right now, and it's it's just boring everybody out of their minds. Let's get to the games. Yeah, and I think part of that is the lopsided nature of the series. The unexpected arrival of the Phillies is very fun, and I'm sure in Philadelphia the content is insane. But the Astros have 19 more regular season wins than the Phillies. That's the second largest disparity in regular season wins by teams to meet in the World Series all time. Mm. Second only to 1906. 1906. We are going back to the Cubs' heyday <laughs> to find a more lopsided World Series. It's pretty incredible, and that might be part of it. Two fits is there's just a little bit less maybe to break down because people are so certain the Astros are going to run away with it. 
Yeah, which is part of why, you know, I, the magical story here is that the Phillies do something in the first two games that gets everybody mm-hmm. worked up, right? Like, that's what mm-hmm. this series needs. Because if the Astros come out and cleanly win the first two games in a way that doesn't have a lot of drama, everybody's just going to say, all right, we know how this thing's playing out, and then you sort of check out. We, we need the Astros to be tested, which hasn't happened at all in this postseason. So, you know, yep. if, if the Yankees couldn't do it, you know, can the Phillies? I don't know. I don't know. It just feels like everybody's Phillies have a little magic on. in them. We yeah. talked about it with the Eagles as well, and maybe this is one of those teams that gets a little magic in them as they came together after the firing of Joe Girardi. But uh, Friday, all of that will, will start. Uh, next story. Quickies. I'm going to stick with baseball because, as I mentioned, everyone's talking about Aaron Judge. We talked last night. The Giants said no bid will be too high. They will not get outbid for Aaron Judge. It will not be a money that is the reason he does not select the San Francisco Giants. That's what sources are telling us. Frank Isola on Around the Horn said a friend that's close to Aaron Judge told him he does not think he's staying in New York. All of our baseball guys are saying, despite the finish to the season, they still believe that Judge will come back to the Yankees. In the meantime, we also are hearing about another person whose tenure with the Yankees is in doubt, and that's, of course, manager Aaron Boone. But Hal Steinbrenner has come out to say, the owner of the Yankees, as far as Boone's concerned, we just signed him, and for all the same reasons I listed a year ago, I believe he is a very good manager. I don't see a change there. A lot of controversy around Aaron Boone, who's very well liked, but a lot of people need a finger to point at someone when you've got the talent and the payroll that they have and not the results. Yeah, I mean, that's the hardest part is that the marathon of the baseball season gets everybody convinced that their team should just be gifted a spot in the World Series, and it just didn't work out that way. And and when you've got the year that they had for Aaron Judge and the attention that came with it, not just for him, but also for the brand of the Yankees, and then you get eliminated the way they got eliminated, it leaves a sour taste in everybody's mouth. The one thing that I think Hal Steinbrenner should be worried about right now is what is the relationship between Aaron Boone and Aaron Judge? Because frankly, that's going to be one of the things that you should be considering. The Everything needs to be put in place and handed to Aaron Judge on a silver platter if you want him to come back, given the fact that you didn't sign him before. So you better hope that those two have a great relationship, and maybe that's part of the reason you make that quick decision. Yeah, conditions have to be pretty perfect there so you don't risk him going elsewhere for something that you could have made happen for him. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing a little quickies to close the show. Let's get to the next story. Quickies. In hockey, we're early on in the season, but we've already got a pretty incredible record and a pretty incredible moment. Phil Kessel of the Golden Knights sets the NHL's Ironman streak, and he did it in style. He has appeared in 990 straight Games, a streak that started on November 3rd, 2009. And in that streak setting game, he scored his 400th career goal in his team's 4 2 win over the Sharks. That's a lot of information. That's a lot of really rad stuff all at once. But I want to ask you if you remember what you were doing in 2009. Uh, I mean, I was on tour somewhere. I just don't know much about, like, I mean, specifically because I was on, I think I was with, I don't remember where I was at that point. I, honestly, do you remember where you were in 2009? Uh, I just, no, vaguely. I think I had not yet started working for ESPN 1000 and I was still, I was working for Chicago Now and the Chicago Tribune and doing like a week weekend radio show. It it feels like a long time ago, and for him to have played in every game since, well, I guess it's tied now, so he needs one more to um, 
to uh to hit it but i oh no no that was it was it was the tide was the 989 the uh, 990 was the record um just unbelievable there's a good story Right now, too, uh, that I saw Wyshynski share uh, that I just got to start reading on the flight but didn't finish yet. That is a, a number of uh, Kessel's close compatriots and people he's played against and with uh, talking about who he is and his unique, I guess, vibe. Uh, if you don't know much about Phil Kessel, there are a lot of legends around him and his vibes. And uh, Wyshynski, uh, Wyshynski gathered together a whole lot of folks to talk about him. So that's a good one to check out. Yeah, that article is is incredibly interesting to me, and I I was captivated reading it. Also, when you think about 990 straight games in hockey, like the grind of the NHL season, the physicality of the NHL season, the length of the NHL season, 990 is just such a daunting mm. number for somebody to hit, and for him to be doing it when he's 35 years old at this point at at that high of a level, it, it's just really surprising. Yeah. Imagine how many lower body and upper body injuries without any more clarity he has played through in those 990 games. Pretty unbelievable. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. A little bit of quickies to close tonight's show. Next story. Quickies. Uh, we told you tonight we got a couple NBA games for teams that are desperate for victories. We've already got underway uh, uh, the Philly and uh, not Philly, the uh, Brooklyn and Milwaukee game that we teased earlier. The Nets actually up 55-43 on Milwaukee right now. Later on, we've got a Lakers team taking on the Nuggets. Lakers still looking for their first win. Both of those on ESPN. Last night, we had a good one on national TV as the Warriors and Suns faced off. Uh, Suns beat the Warriors 134-105. It was close for a while. It was heated throughout multiple technicals across the game and clay thompson ejected first time in his career he had been going back and forth with devin booker for a bunch of minutes and he kept giving him the four rings sign there were some chess bumps that ensued and then uh he shoved michael uh, michael bridges and that was it for him i'm kind of surprised it's his first tech like usually he's pretty chill but every once in a while you can get clay riled up and i i, I was surprised that he hadn't gotten tossed before yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten tossed before, and I don't know what you say to four rings. Didn't matter last night, but it does matter in history. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.